0: And welcome in to the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Show. Gary Stone, along with UMBC head coach Ryan Odom. A little later on in the show, we'll meet uh, one of Coach Odom's players, uh, Josh Rosario from Miami, Florida, will be our guest. And, of course, John Feinstein, my broadcast partner on the broadcast on ESPN3, will be here later to discuss some issues surrounding college football and basketball. But first, let's talk UMBC Hi. basketball. Coach, welcome back in. How are you? Doing good. Good. Doing good. Uh, let's start with the main game, which was the opener here at the UMBC Event Center. Uh, trailing at the half and then coming back in the second half for a nine-point win. What was the difference for you in the second half in that game?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly credit to Maine initially in that first half. I mean, we were kind of back on our heels. They played you know, good basketball on both sides of the ball. You know, Offensively, they were very efficient, getting the ball in their sweet spots in, in, in the inside and then also making some timely threes. Uh, you know, I felt like our guys were were like I said a little bit back on our heels uh, we weren't attacking we weren't as aggressive as we needed to be uh from a defensive perspective and then offensively, we were a tad bit tentative and missed a couple of shots there and that that kind of compounded things you know down the stretch and I think they had a thirty one to nineteen you know lead at the half mm-hmm. and so we talked about to our guys about being resilient being being a little more gritty on defense trying to you know stick with our game plan and, and, and do it better than we did in the first half. And I thought we came out of the second half and played pretty good ball. And you had a
0: nice run in the second half. I want to say it was 17-4. A little bit of a theme that I've noticed in the last few games, especially in conference games, Arkel Lamar off the bench in the second half. He's he can get on fire real quick. Like he had three threes in a row, and then he had three field goals in another spurt, and all that. He seems to be able to give the team a little bit of oomph when it needs it, especially in the second half.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, Arkell has obviously been a starter for us here at UMBC. You know, pretty much since his arrival. Maybe not so much his first year, but. You know, certainly last year, you know, he started pretty much every game that he was available for, minus his injuries. And, you know, this year we brought him off the bench. We felt we needed a little bit of a punch off the bench. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Jordan kind of played that role for us last year. And, uh, you know, he he's starting to to get comfortable with that. Now, will will that continue? Will I keep him there? I'm not sure yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, he's done a nice job, you know, coming off the bench. He's playing better, you mm-hmm. know, right now than he was you know, s- several games ago. Mm-hmm.
0: And then after the main game, the Retrievers hit the road for the first time in conference play up to New England, Hartford yep. first, and then at UMass Lowell. Let's tackle the Hartford game first. That That's a heartbreaker, a two-point yeah. overtime loss. You guys, from the free throw line, again, deep in the game, like late in the second half, had chances to extend the lead maybe to a two-possession game, but it just fell short.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Hartford's an experienced team. They're well-coached. Uh, they came out on fire at the beginning of the game. Uh, We had a tough time guarding their their stuff early on. And then we settled into the game and and kept within striking distance at halftime. I think we got it to 28, 25, you know, maybe going into the last three minutes or two minutes. And then they went on another – Uh, Run there to kind of finish the half, and I think it was maybe 35 28. So we weren't out of it at that point. You know, it was a situation where we were still within striking distance and just had to play a little bit better. Defensively in the second half, I thought our guys were lights out. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we get up 57 52 with, with not a lot of time left. Certainly had our chances to win, but credit you know Hartford for getting it into overtime and and uh, and then finishing it with two, you know by two in, in that in that segment. But uh, we still did have a shot there. You know, Ricky had I thought a decent look with two seconds to go. You know that would have actually won the game there a three. But you know it's a tough place to play, and it we is. knew that was going to be a hard game for us. I thought our guys played well. Certainly well enough to win. And then the retrievers stayed on the
0: road. They went right from Hartford to Boston and went to play UMass Lowell, a very good offensive team. In fact, the top offensive team in the conference. And I thought you guys did a pretty good job defensively there. But UMass Lowell has a lot of firepower. Christian Lutete, their um, junior transfer, put up 26 points. And he was really the difference in the game.
1: We haven't had a lot of guys, you know, that have gone over 20 on us no. in games. And, you know, that was something that, you know, we, we were very disappointed with after the game. Uh, you know, for him to get 26 on us is not not certainly We weren't doing our job there. And he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong. He can really shoot and, and you know, he gets to the basket and, and makes layups. But, you know, we did not put our best foot forward in that game. You know, Lowell was without, you know, their leader and Jones, Jones uh, in the game Jones. as well. And you know I thought their their guy, their other Jones came off the bench and and gave them a big lift. He actually hadn't played in five games. And, you know, sometimes when there's an opening like that, you know, kids take advantage of it, and he certainly did, and Letete played an excellent game.
0: You guys have trailed at the half in your last nine games against yeah. D1 opponents, slow, slow starts, and we saw it on the road trip. Yeah. Um, is that a concern? What do you do about
1: that? Yeah, no doubt it's a concern. You know, we want to be attacking the other team, mm-hmm. and what's happening right now is they're attacking us. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we've talked to our guys about. We're working on it in practice. Uh, you know, our offense is certainly not what it's been in years Past and it is that is what it is. You know we're not we're not as good there right now. It doesn't mean we can't eventually get there. You know by the end of the season. Uh, you know we're constantly trying to tweak that and make the guys more comfortable uh, from a defensive perspective. You know we're doing well in certain categories. Uh, but you know there're certain ones that we're not doing very well with and we've got to really you know try to improve upon those and uh, you know that's where that's where we're at at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. So off the road now the Retrievers come back home for a couple of games this week starting Wednesday night against the Binghamton Bearcats and then on Saturday against Albany. Yeah. Let's tackle Binghamton first. They have a really uh, highly high volume shooter in Sam Sessoms, the freshman. Yeah. Uh, one of the leading scorers in the conference, one of the top rookies in the conference. Talk a little bit about them and their start so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love their team. I mean, Tommy's done a nice job with their squad. I mean, I know their record's not, you know, what they want it to be, you know, but they've been in a lot of games, and they've played some hard teams. You know, at Michigan, they're in the game. They're down, you know, a few at half, and they end up losing similar score that we had against Penn State. Um, You know, they've done really well. You know, they're one and one right now in the league. You know, they have a bye week leading into our game. And, uh, you know, they're a tough team, and they're down Thomas Bruce right now. And then uh, the other kid, number five as well, hasn't hasn't been healthy. So, you know, I think if if they can get everything back, you know, in order there, they get their full roster back, you know, they're going to be a tough out for any team in our conference. And, you know, for us, we have a very small margin for error. And, you know, we've got to play really well to win any game. And, you know, for us right now, we've got to kind of get back to it. You know, there's some good things that we could take from the Hartford game and a lot of bad stuff that we can learn from, you know, the UMass Lowell game. Uh, You know, I thought it was kind of a tale of two games. And uh, we were pretty lethargic in the UMass Lowell game. We we weren't really attentive to to scouting report situations Mm. and – Offensively, we were pretty tentative, and and we had a few too many turnovers, you know, walks and things like that that we can certainly control, um, you know. But you know, against Binghamton, we're going to have to play well. They're a good team. Uh, Sessions is an excellent player, and he's not the only one that they have. Certainly, you know, they've got a thousand point scorer and J.C. Shao, you right. know, who's, who's had yeah. had a great career, um, you know. So we're gonna, and they're experienced. I mean, you look up and down their roster; they have older guys. And so we're gonna to have to play well to win. And then Albany
0: on Saturday, they may not quite be what they've been over the last couple of years, yeah. but they're but they're still a dangerous team. Yeah,
1: no question. I mean they're they're well coached. You know, Coach Brown has done an amazing job at at albany and and uh you know they, they were playing well you know leading into conference but we've seen this before i mean the last couple of years i think they've started zero and three you know in in conference and then they just find a way yeah. to turn it around and all of a sudden they're right there at the end so we know that there's no there's no sleepwalks in in this conference mm-hmm. and you know we've got to make sure that we uh we're playing playing our best and, and more competitive. Right.
0: So once again, Wednesday night, it's uh, the Retrievers and the Binghamton Bearcats, 7 o'clock here at the Event Center. And then Saturday afternoon, I think that's a 1 o'clock game, if I'm not mistaken, 1 o'clock also at the Event Center. We'll take a time out here. When we come back, John Feinstein, my broadcast partner, will join us. We'll talk about some news and notes around college basketball and college football and a very interesting story about a young man that Ryan Odom actually had contact with last year in March. We'll tell you about that when the UNBC Ryan Odom Coaches Show continues right after this. Welcome back to the UNBC Ryan Odom Coaches Show. Gary Stone, along with head coach Ryan Odom. Also joined now by my broadcast partner, New York Times bestselling author John Feinstein with us. John, welcome in. How are you?
2: Uh, very pleased with myself, uh, Gary, <laughs> that I was able to dig my car out from the snow today without having a heart attack. I don't think that was uh, a mild undertaking. No, absolutely true. And you did it all by yourself? Did it all by myself. Wow. Um, we have a two-car garage that fits one car. I'm sure most parents can relate to that. So, my car was pretty buried by the time I got out to it this morning.
0: All right, sounds good. Hey, John, since we last spoke, the um, NCAA football college championship has been determined, and Clemson uh, beat Alabama in what I can only term as an upset and quite an upset 44 16. The reason why I bring it up is because one of the last times that we did speak, we talked about the chances of an expanded college playoffs. You had a good solution about it. I thought it was very reasonable, and I thought the NCAA. NCAA was leaning that way as well, but now all of a sudden we hear that that talk has been quashed. What do you think about that and the fact that the NCAA doesn't want to move away from the four-team playoff right now? Well,
2: a couple of things, Gary. First of all, just to clarify, the NCAA is not technically in charge of the college football playoff. Uh, It's run by the five power conferences. That is true. Of course, Notre Dame, because Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Um, they make the decisions, their presidents, uh, they're the commissioners of, of those five leagues, and athletic directors. And I, I knew that they weren't going to change the, the playoff because if they expanded it, and I'll get to what I think they ought to do in a second, but if they expanded it to eight teams and they said, okay, we're going to have the five champions from the power conferences, we're going to guarantee the group of five at least one spot in the field, and they could have more, let's Say they had two undefeated teams in a season, but guarantee at least one spot. That's giving the little guys a spot at the big boy table. And the, the 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 presidents and ads and commissioners in the Power Five conference have no desire to do that. Right? They don't want to see UCF beat Auburn as it did last year in the Peach Bowl in a tournament game, heading toward a national championship game. They don't want to see Boise State beat oklahoma they don't want to see uh... utah beat alabama the- these are, are games that have actually happened in the past in bowl games but they don't want it to happen when there's a national championship at stake and they don't want to share any more of the money than they're already sharing so the fact that an 18 team playoff as i suggested and have been suggesting for years would make absolute sense would be the fairest thing to do and would be easy to do logistically because all you do is you get rid of the conference championship games, which are nothing more than a money grab. uh, And you play the first round, the quarterfinals, on that first Saturday in December, or that first weekend in December, if you want to stretch it out for TV purposes. And you play it at home sites. So you give the regular season meaning because you're playing to try and be in the top four and get seated, or you're playing to try and be in the top eight and get into the tournament. Then you play... The semifinals on New Year's Day. None of this December 29th stuff. You play it on New Year's Day in a year when the Rose Bowl is not one of the two semifinal sites. You play a semifinal, the Rose Bowl, and a semifinal on New Year's Day, and then a week later you play the championship game. Now, this makes perfect sense, but of course, it'll never happen.
1: <laughs> what would the matchups have had been? You know, in your on your format there, what from this this past season?
2: Well, in in my format, Ryan uh the 4-5 game. Who was the fourth seed? Uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. The 4-5 game would have been between State. Oklahoma and UCF, and it would have been played UCF. at UCF. Because I would have said, if you finish undefeated, you're guaranteed a home game. There were four undefeated hmm. teams okay. in Division One this year. That's unusual. Usually it's one or two max. But there were four this year. So I would have had Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and UCF hosting. And then I would have had Oklahoma playing at UCF. I would probably have had Ohio State playing at Notre Dame. Pretty good matchup. Uh, I would have had Georgia playing at Clemson. And you pick your eighth seed. I'm not sure who I would have picked as the eighth seed uh, playing at Alabama.
0: Hmm. Sounds like a pretty good field. Unfortunately, we didn't to it. Really wouldn't have a been a bad, bad weekend it. of
1: football, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, you could have just put UMBC <clears throat> there, you know, against UN... Alabama.
2: That would have <laughs> been good. Sure. Yeah, you could have sure. cross, cross, cross promoted
0: sure. the two sports,
2: <laughs> basically. Hey, John, Maybe the little cross team could have gone. Yeah. yeah.
0: Hey, John, I wanted to move on to a great story that um, I think we all have an interest. Well, everybody's going to have an interest in it. Uh, that was brought up by uh, SBNation.com. dot uh, com. It's about it's about Kyle Guy, uh, University of Virginia basketball player, who on social media kind of wrote a letter uh, to himself, and it just kind of detailed. Uh, a lot of what many college basketball and college athletes must be feeling, it's the anxiety they feel being in big-time college athletics. I know I'm not doing it justice by that quick description, but uh, Coach Odom coached against that young man last year. I know that you cover the ACC and probably are very familiar with him. I just wanted to get your take on the Kyle Guy story.
2: Well, I think clearly all the tension Kyle Guy feels is Ryan and the UMBC's fault. Yeah, Uh, because of what happened last March in Charlotte. Um, No, uh, look, there is a lot of pressure on kids playing at any level, to me, at any level uh, of college sports of high school sports, unfortunately, down to peewee sports. Uh, And, you know, they need help in handling it. They need help first from their parents. They need help from their teammates, and they certainly need help from their coaches. Uh, Kyle Guy is in a, I think, a very positive atmosphere at the University of Virginia playing for Tony Bennett. But the, you know, I, I know, as you said, uh, Gary, from covering the ACC for so many years, the kinds of pressures that are brought to bear on the young men who play, as again, any sport in the ACC, although the ACC is particularly known for basketball um so i think it it took a lot of guts for kyle guy i think to talk publicly about the tension he feels and how he's trying to deal with it and maybe more kids should do it if only because it might be cathartic to do so Mm -hmm.
1: yeah no question i mean obviously it's it's something that's near and dear to my heart with you know my son connor's situation you know and struggle with with ocd and and what he's had to i've seen it firsthand what he's had to deal with and you know i think you know Kyle, I mean, not Kyle Guy, but Kevin Love actually, you know, came out with, you know, his own struggles, you know, with panic attacks and anxiety, you know, back during last season. And, you know, I think that certainly could be therapeutic. I mean, they need to seek, you know, professional help there. And, you know, certainly, you know, Kyle Guy coming out now and explaining, you know, kind of the situation, you know, that was happening with him at the time uh you know, can can be ther- not only therapeutic for him, but it can help others. you know, it, it helps the next Kyle guy uh, feel comfortable enough to come out and say, hey, you know, I, I am like that. I'm, I'm struggling with this issue too. And it's okay to be vulnerable at times. And uh, you know, I think I think we live in a very, very uh, tough world right now from a social media standpoint. Every time you know, these kids, uh, make a great play it's on social media but conversely every time they make a really bad play mm-hmm. you know or they have a bad loss uh or they do something incorrect it's out there and you know there's no getting it back and so there's a lot of pressure that goes involved with that goes along with that it's tough to deal with i mean you just look at yeah, what virginia right
2: ryan I and mean, i think yeah. you used the right word vulnerable because we're all vulnerable in different ways yeah and whether it's someone Connor's age or someone Kyle Guy's age or someone Kevin Love's age, uh, the more they can do to, you know, say, look, this is this is a problem. This is something a lot of people deal with, and and there shouldn't be any embarrassment or shame in saying you have this issue. Exactly. Um, and and you know the social media aspect, I think you raise is important too. I, I saw something on Twitter, this is a couple months ago, and, and then I saw it on, on ESPN. It was a so-called highlight of a kid on, a, I think it was either a D3 game or it might have been a high school game, and a kid is on uh, the free throw line, uh, lined up waiting for, for someone else to shoot. And he, just, he loses his balance, and he just falls and goes down on his butt. And I don't know if you guys saw it at any point, but it as didn't. I, as I saw it pop up <clears throat> first on, uh, the internet and then on TV, I'm thinking, why is somebody showing this highlight? Because what is the point exactly? Cause it, it, it other people laugh at someone yeah, falling on their right. butt. I, it, stuff like that happens to people all the time yeah. uh, whether they're playing basketball or walking down the street I almost fell on my butt today walking into a restaurant hey you I fell at the game the other day Did you know, so that be on the <laughs> ESPN <laughs> and, we, and, we, so. and we caught that but coach I think the more yeah. people are willing to talk about their vulnerabilities the better it is
0: Ryan speaking of social media yeah. how much time do you spend talking to your players about the pros and cons, the good and the bad of social media
1: yeah, I mean, I think we, we certainly, it's a topic that we try to try to discuss with our guys. You know, less time is, is better on it. Um, you know, certainly as you're leading up to games and, you know, your focus has got to be on whatever, your schoolwork. You know, it just can't take away from what your objective is. Mm-hmm. And I think too many times I'm guilty of it. I think we all are. You know, you just go right to your phone and you look at it. It's just a different time we live in. And, you know, so we all need to do a little bit better. I know my wife's on me about, you know, trying to stay off of that thing, especially when I come home, you know, after work. It's a tough thing, you know, because, you you know, it's things happen really fast and you want to be on top of it, but there's also a lot of wasted time, you know, that happens. And so we've given them statistics. We've shown them, you know, videos that, you know, would be the counter argument, you know, to allowing guys to, you know, check out their phones all the time. I'm not one of those coaches that – takes it away, uh, but if I needed to, I would. I wouldn't be afraid to do it.
0: Right. John, you you and I are in the same age demographic. Ha- have you fully oh. adjusted <laughs> to this new social media, you know, the Twitterverse and just everything involved?
2: Well, I yeah, I got on Twitter a few years ago, uh, Gary, at the insistence of my publisher, Right, uh, my book publishers. They, they felt I needed a social media presence just to kind of keep people updated about uh, what I was working on, books coming out, book reviews, things like that. Uh, unfortunately, as Ryan points out, it, it, it can be addictive. You can spend too much time on yeah. it. I tweeted on Friday about a guy named John Heisler, who worked at Notre Dame for 41 years. Absolutely. He's one of the best SIDs in, in the history of, of of athletics. Great guy, really good at what he did. And Notre Dame has decided to make some financial cutbacks, and because he was near the top of the ladder, having been at Notre Dame for 41 years, he got fired. And I tweeted, you know, just about how this was awful, that it would happen to a guy like John Heisler. Well, there were so many responses to that tweet. Now, most of them were people who knew John, worked with John, worked for John, saying, oh, my God, this is awful. But, of course, there were the usual, you know, people saying, um, you know, you just hate Notre Dame and you don't know what really happened. And, and, and I spent much too much time responding to those tweets. So <laughs> it can be an issue. And, and what I have to learn to do, and I think what others do, is just block those people and move on. <laughs> mm, yeah,
0: John, and as always, you've got the last word, my friend. Thank you.
2: Uh, my pleasure. As always, I'll see you guys on Wednesday.
0: You've got it. John, right, John. I, John, thank you so much. That's John Feinstein, my color partner on the uh, broadcast on ESPN3. Uh, and Ryan and I will come back in just a minute. We'll meet one of his players, Josh Rosario from the Miami area. will be joining us when we return right after this. Respect is hard work. Respect is dedication.
1: Respect is earned on the court or on the field. Respect doesn't judge based on sexual orientation or gender identity.
0: Respect is being the first conference to partner
1: with the You Can Play Project. And the first conference in the LGBT Sports Safe Founders Club.
2: Respect coaches, players, and the game.
1: Respect similarities.
2: Respect differences.
1: Spread respect.
2: Spread respect.
1: Spread respect.
0: And welcome back to the show. Gary Stein along with UMBC Head Coach Ryan Odom joined by... A gentleman, and the, the team just came back from Boston, a game against UMass Lowell. This guy in the middle had 40 relatives, family and friends, etc., at the game against UMass Lowell. Josh Rosario, sophomore guard, UMBC. How are you? I'm good, and you? Good. Tell us why uh, you had 40 people there.
3: Um, well, I was born in Boston, raised there um, by my parents, obviously. Uh, so I was about six years old. Um, my dad was born in Puerto Rico. My mom was born in Boston, so... My mom had family there, Um, her sisters, she has three sisters, Um, my dad's parents were there along with his uh, his sister, Mm -hmm. uncles, I had a lot of cousins there, cousins from the Marines to um, friends of my dad's who used to play with them in high school. And as long as well my dad's head coach right. for high school basketball, wow!
0: I mean, that I mean, Brian, that must have been really special just to even know that he needed 40 tickets.
1: Yeah, no, it was great. And then all of a sudden, you see him; they're all they've got their retriever gear on, and you can see the black and gold there. I mean, just a special, special thing. You know, it's tough because you know, he, you know, he's obviously from Miami, so that's a long distance here from yeah. you know Baltimore. Right. You know, like Joe going to Wisconsin, or you know. Nolan in Cleveland or Max, you know, with New Hampshire right. or whatever. And a lot of times, you know, guys get to go back home, you know, and it's tough for him to get – we're not playing in Miami. Next year we play at Florida Gulf Coast, but uh, that's about as close as we'll get, you know, south. And so anytime you, you have those situations, you know, it's really special to be able to play in mm-hmm. front of your family and friends.
0: So you moved from the Boston area when you were six. Do you remember much about Boston?
3: Um. Not really. Only that it was cold. I, I do yeah, remember uh, my dad's uh, mom's house, my grandmother. I remember uh, waking up and always going to my uncle's house, walking down the street, mm-hmm. going to Dunkin' Donuts, but I don't really <laughs> remember that much of Boston.
0: Well, and there's a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner in Boston, so, yeah. right. But but it, but it's interesting you say that because you don't remember much about Boston, yet you're still a Celtics fan as opposed to a Heat fan.
3: Yeah. Um. Reason why I was a Celtics fan, I remember my dad used to take me to Celtics games a lot when I was little. Um, when we moved to Miami, we didn't really go to a lot of Miami games. We usually mm. stuck with, uh, stuck with Boston around the time where Rondo, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Garnett, right. Perkins was there. So he was a diehard Celtics fan. So I always said
1: Bird up. and like McHale, McHale, Parish, DJ. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> how, how did how did you find him? Yeah, I mean, uh, we actually found him, you know, through that same connection that. Uh, K.J. Mara, you know, his AAU
0: AAU
1: coach and his high school coach is very close with Coach Dixon, and he called and told us about him. We had a scholarship in in the spring, Mm -hmm. came up and checked things out and came with your brother and mom and, and, you know, father at the time, and, you know, that was right when he was just getting healthy enough to be able to move around. And uh, we'll get, get into that in, in a second. But um, he came in for the visit, and it felt right for him. I don't want to speak for him, but it felt right for him and certainly was right for us. And uh, we, we were able to, to get Josh here.
0: How, how much did you know about UMBC before they started recruiting you? At the time, mm-hmm. none, nothing. Nothing. So, what, so how did you feel about the chemistry?
3: Um, first, when I first uh, had found out about it, um, I, was, I talked to Biling, who was my... Uh, mentor at the time Mm -hmm. and he told me that coach rhino was a great friend of him um we ended up at calling during when i was at the hospital with my father and he, he was talking to me for hours talked to me for a couple of days and it just seemed like it was the right move to do, and I trusted my coaches and my dad 's decision and I just went with it and it was probably one of the best decisions I made yeah,
0: so you mentioned your dad was in the hospital, and we yes, really need to talk about this story. Uh, your dad is uh, Carlos yeah. and he is a highway trooper in Miami a couple of years ago, right around the time you were making this decision, he was unfortunately hit by a driver who was texting while driving yes, while he was working and Uh, through the grace of God and miracles, he's been able to survive and thrive. It's been a couple of years now. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that meant to your family?
3: Yeah, of course. Um, Well, at the time when, well, before it happened, um, me and my family, we were going through, like, a very rough time uh, financially with my dad having to work uh, mostly all the time, not seeing him at nighttime. And I honestly thought, like, it was like a, I don't want to say, like, it was, like, meant to happen, but... I just think it was like something God did to give him a break from working so much. Mm-hmm. Like, it was to the point where I wouldn't see my dad for days, but he would show up at my games in his uniform to come watch me play. So what it meant to my family was it was something like we can't take life for granted because I saw him before he went to work, and it could have been the last time I saw him going to work. Mm-hmm. So it was just something that it was really hard, something the biggest, my biggest hardship I went through, but... It brought me closer to him than I was before, because I used to take him for granted,
1: and I used I wasn't as close to him as I am now. So,
0: when you hear something like that,
1: yeah, I mean it's special, you know, it really is. I mean, life throws you all kinds of adverse situations, and you know, we actually talked, you know, uh, after the game the other day, and you know, he I let him go out with his his family and and eat dinner, you know, with with that that crew of folks. But after the game, I talked to the team about. You know, yeah, we've lost two games in a row, uh, but this is not adversity. (laughs) Like, this is not. This is fun to try to figure this out. Right. You know, and play better and and all that. That's adversity. You know, (laughs) all of a sudden, you know, your father, your loved one, you know, is in a difficult situation. You're not sure if he's going to make it or not. And, you know, by the grace of God, like you said, you know, day by day, you know, he just gets stronger and stronger. And there's no give, you know, in his dad and his family. Uh, his mom's basically living at the hospital, you know, with, with her husband and, uh, you know, brother, his older brother's helping out and and taking care of him. And obviously he was old enough to, to take care of himself too, but they were all chipping in and just, just making it happen. And, you know, that's what, that's what you do when you're in, you're, forced in and thrust into an adverse situation. All right. You, you focus on your family, you Mm -hmm. focus on your faith and your friends, and, uh, and really everything else kind of takes a back seat at that point. And, you know, that, that's a great example of just perseverance and, 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 you know, looking out for one another and never giving up. And that's what, you know, the Rosario family did, you know, in that situation, and we all can learn from it.
0: Mm-hmm. So I saw the picture. You guys did like a family picture at the game. And first of all, your dad looks great. Uh, you guys look exactly like each other, uh, both very handsome men. Um, but how, how, how's he doing? How's he doing emotionally, physically?
3: Um, actually, he's doing very good. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but after the accident happened, uh, about three months, four months later, he was already walking out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. So as of right now, he's doing good. He just started working again. Um, last Wednesday, he had a ceremony where they flew him in from the same helicopter, helicopter. with the rescue team right. that rescued him, mm-hmm. um, brought him in, and they basically celebrated him coming back to work so emotionally and physically he's doing very well um he's got a very close relationship to God now and I thank God that he's still here every day and how how are you doing in school and basketball in life I'm doing good uh school I finished with a pretty I think I finished with a Mm 3.0 um basketball I'm hanging in there just learning every day from coach Odom trying to do my best out there on the court
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds good.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And we're really proud of Josh and what he's, what he's accomplished since he's been here so far. And, and, you know, certainly, you know, we always want our guys to do well academically. I don't have to worry one day about this guy over here and what he's doing, you know, off the court. Like, he's trying to do his best each and every, each and every uh, opportunity that presents itself. And, uh, you know, he's doing well. He got in the other day in the game and, and performed pretty well. And uh, he's, he's competing in practice. Unfortunately, he had, he's had some injuries, you know, this year. He had a concussion, uh, which knocked him out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he fought back from that one. And, and there's no break in this guy right here. Mm-hmm.
0: I saw the end of that game. You had a pretty nice take to the hoop on that on that one. Pretty nice. Thank hey, thank you so much for joining us. It was me. a really, really inspiring story. Yeah,
1: good job, brother.
0: Yeah, He's a good young man. Josh Rosario, sophomore guard for UNBC. That'll do it for the show. Thank you both. And... Uh, Thank you to Steve Levy and everybody involved, and uh, we'll see you next week on the UNBC Ryan Odom Coaches Show.